Welcome to the Mike Stoker Podcast. I'm Dean Wilson, along with Mike Stoker and Nolan Anderson, a multi-generational podcast. This is episode nine. We are in the cabana. It's a little chillier these days. We had a little rain yesterday. We're doing good. Multi-generational podcast. We try to bring you information, news, uh, information you can trust. We have a special guest today. Mike will tell you all about Joe Armanderas in a moment. Uh, but we're so glad you're joining us wherever you are. And hope you'll tell a friend, send the link on to so- in social media or however you can. And we'd love to spread the word about the Mike Stoker podcast. And welcome back, Mike. Good to see you. Well, thanks, Dean. And, you know, we need to find, first off, Joe Armanderas, a good friend of mine, known him for a long time. You know, I, I he, he'll probably, you know, this will make his head explode. He's one of, you know, when it comes to policy, one of the smarter guys I know. Great to have him on the show today. Uh, I think you'll see why by, with the kind of conversation the two of us can engage in. But I, I and you know, on Joe's background, he'd been a former city councilman in uh, Carpinteria. He was executive director of the Santa Barbara County Taxpayers Association, executive director of the Santa Barbara Industrial and Technology Association. You know, he's been really in, engaged, involved. I mean, can't even count how many appearances he's made between before board of supervisors, city councils on policy issues, budget issues. Um, but I think what's more important right now, since we are a multi-generation and we have Nolan who has a split personality between <laughs> being a millennial and being a Gen Z, and then we have right. you being a... What am I, Gen X? No. No. Wait, I, I, think, well, I, I think we called you Gen X. Oh, yeah, you're the, the you're Gen X. No, yeah. You're Gen X. No, you're Gen X. You're Gen Z yes, slant Gen millennial. X. You're Gen yeah. X. Yes. I'm the baby boomer. I would assume Joe comes in the Gen X category. We need to figure that out. I transcend space and time. So, <laughs> so it's good that you're sitting next to Nolan. You, you have a split personality yeah. too. We have the two kind of bipolar right. guys right. that, you know, here don't know where they're at at what time, you know, space right. or time, Gen Z. So anyway, but now we're going to, this is going to be a great show. Um, we're going to talk about, you know, everybody's been talking about water um and the water shortage newsom was talking about the last couple of weeks and we get you know five inches of rain downtown sacramento yesterday um and the big question is and i've been given this speech for literally 30 years we don't have a water shortage problem in this state even though everybody listening the older you are you remember how many times we've gone through drought it's a, a it's a recurring event we have a water storage problem that we wouldn't have had the water you know shortage problem had we continued to build storage but we'll talk about that a little later we're going to talk about uh you know the state of california the future of california kind of picking up with the recall what does that mean for california going forward but i really think what we should start the show with because it really i think is really ca- catching the headlines right now uh and it's very very significant um if you look at all the polls in the last week, the president's approval rating has, is somewhere between 36 and 41 to 42 percent. That 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 is just smells for and in, in, suggests a disaster in the midterm election. Um, and if you look at all the all the issues leading to that unfavorable rating, they're all issues that will break to Republicans running for Congress. Um, it's you know concern about the, the lack of secu- security at the border. And if you look at everything going on, and now we have another march coming that they're getting ready for, that literally state of Texas with their own National Guard is saying, we federal government's not here. They can't do anything. They don't want to do anything. We got to do it ourselves. 
the American public is seeing illegals coming in to all states, not just border states. These these illegals are coming. Ohio's being impacted by it. Pennsylvania's being impacted by it. Florida's being impacted. Americans are seeing that. They've seen the the policy in Afghanistan. Uh, all the polling is showing they are scared to death about inflation and the state of the economy. Um, you know, they are concerned about the defund the police movement in the inner cities that have led to people not feeling safe in their homes. So, I mean, and then you get the, the mandatory vaccine, uh, which I think really is going to play against the president and really hurt the Democrats in the midterm. And I'll talk about that in a minute. Um, but all those polling numbers I mean, are, if you're in the White House right now, and I, I mean, I saw Carville, James Carville, you know, who was the guru for President Clinton said, hey, you know, right now Biden is tanking. And, and he basically said, I don't see a way out of it with all these issues. You can't turn inflation around. You, he can't start to turn it around unless he goes against the progressives. And that's the problem. Smiling Joe that wanted to be the moderate, sold himself as the moderate, is beholden to the progressive caucus. Um, so I don't know, Joe, what's your, you know, I got a couple of other things to talk about on that issue. But I mean, what's your take on what's going on with Biden right now and, you know, what it means for the midterm election? Well, I think that I think you're right, Mike. I think that the American people have assessed this president. Uh, that, that's the helicopters coming yeah. in that Biden is taking us out <laughs> yeah. because it's kind of like censorship if they don't like what you say. So yeah, it's going to be I, like I, apocalypse I, now. I get ready for everybody to dive under the table. Uh, and, I, and I think we knew this day was coming. Yeah, and, uh, you know this this podcast is catching on, um, and I think the as I said, I think the American people have assessed this president's uh, term so far, albeit what is it nine months in, and I think they've uh, decided that he's doing a great job, except for foreign policy and domestic policy. Uh, but other than but that, other than that, I think they think it's he's all doing, good. I think he's doing great. It's, it's all so, good in Joe's neighborhood. Yeah, absolutely. So. It's a beautiful day in Joe's neighborhood. A beautiful day in Joe's neighborhood. <laughs> Won't you be my neighbor? <laughs> yeah. uh, well, you know, I think what's really telling, what the Democrats are really, really worried about, time to duck, incoming. No, anyway, um, as you know, the president yesterday was in New Jersey campaigning for Pat Murphy. Uh, today in, in, in West Virginia campaigning for Terry McAuliffe for governor. There, I mean, Six months ago, if you would have gone to any Democrat, said, do you have a chance to lose the governor's races in West Virginia and in, in New Jersey? They would have said, what are you smoking? Um, you know, and we know what you can now smoke legally, but they'd probably be going, what are you smoking illegally? I mean, you got to be really have dementia to think you have any chance to win those races. And uh, the bottom line is, you know, the last the last poll in, in West Virginia was was a dead heat, 41-41 for McCullough. Uh, and his challenger, that's huge. And I mean, and any of any of you know people like me that have been so involved with politics, you know, the midterms and, and these kind of races are so critical because it sets the tone, and it really shows is the president having problems or not having problems. And uh, you know, I mean, I mean that is huge that he's campaigning in West Virginia today, and he for, campaigned for in New Jersey yeah. yesterday. I mean. Yeah. And I, you know, and I think that uh, this, the governor of West Virginia has demonstrated, uh, like Biden and many of, of the other Democrat leaders in the country, that they just have a, a, an uncanny ability to be on the wrong side of the issues 
that the American people are on. I mean, I think that McAuliffe coming out and saying that parents have no right to be involved in their kids' education, uh, the Attorney General Garland, uh, Merrick Garland, taking you know nothing more than just a letter from some letterhead organization that in, in de facto set new policy calling them domestic terrorists. I, I think that this whole infrastructure of Democrats from sea to shining sea demonstrates an elitism that goes beyond the pale. And I think they're in serious trouble. Well, you know, the word you just used, you know, elitism, I was just about to say they are so elitist, they have a disconnect with everyday common Americans. And that's why Trump won in 2016. Those were the Rust Belt states. And again, we've talked about this on the show before. I don't think that the, those Rust Belt states, when they voted for Biden, were so much rah-rah for Biden. They certainly weren't for these policies. They were for Trump's policies. They were for moderation, but they were against the man. You know, he had dug himself so far in the hole. And so what's coming back to roost now is people are coming back to not the man. They're coming back to the policies and they're starting to go, hey, reality check. We got to care about the policies, maybe even more so than the individual. Um, but it is it is, I think, so telling that their elitism is a total disconnect. I mean, first off, if you think if I was running for office right now, if I was even thinking that government is more important than parents. And that, you know, that's why I wanted to go I bring up here. I wrote it on my notes under the approval rating. You know, there's two things under the man, mandatory vaccine uh, that are just are completely contrary to what average public can stand for. The mandatory vaccine that you either get that vaccine or you lose your job. And yesterday we had a whole lot of New York cops and firefighters and healthcare workers marching on Brooklyn Bridge, many of which voted for Biden that are going, I'll be fired before you make me get a vaccine. I've chosen this for my own personal body. That is, you know, that's happening. And we're going to have a guest here in the next couple of weeks, probably from the Santa Barbara Police Department, ready to take the same vow, fire me. I won't be able to support my family anymore if you give me that choice. The American public, back again to that elitist, they don't understand that disconnect. They, they really think because their whole, their whole brain thrust and their whole genesis is about believing government knows better. We've talked about in the past, you know, the great society takes a village, parents, people, individuality doesn't matter. The, the government knows best. They've completely misjudged the average American public of which believes basically let do your own homework, make your own choices. Most people say get a vaccine, but they respect an individual who wants to choose for whatever reason he or, has, he or she has to say, I don't want a vaccine and don't, don't take away my job because of it. So there's one area of that disconnect that's really going to have effect on the midterm. And then I think the other one, back to Joe's point, if I was running for office and I thought the government was smarter than parents, I wouldn't say it. But Terry McAuliffe doesn't have a problem saying it. I mean, you know, bless him. He's at least honest. I mean, a smart politician wouldn't come out and say, Look at these parents don't know what they're doing that's best for their kids. Well, if you've looked at the last week, that's probably why this is the biggest story starting up this show today are the school board meetings, especially back on the East Coast, especially in those Rust Belt states, the ones that Biden needed to win and the one he'll need, the ones he'll need again to win, that parents are coming out in droves. I mean, it's not even like, a you know, Joe's been. How often do you go to a board of supervisors and it's 100% for one side and nobody else on the other side is there? <laughs> Not I mean, very often. I mean, 
And in those states, you would think there'd at least be some of the supporters of Terry McAuliffe's side to say, hey, you know, stand up to these parents, stand up. Go look at the, you know, I don't make this stuff up. You can go look at CNN, MSB, NBC when they are covering it. The rooms are packed of parents saying freedom. Kind of like I'm thinking, uh, you know, uh, what was the movie with Mount Gibson? Braveheart, freedom. You know what I mean? These parents are saying, I have a right to make decisions for my children. You're not the parents of my children. And that's a fundamental concept of what made America great. You know, individuality, parent responsibility, in you know, telling parents you need to own it. Step up to the plate. Be responsible for your kids. I mean, and one of the things that I, that I think we should assume and take for granted was that school board members were parents. Right. You know, right. since when are members of school boards not parents? <laughs> and now it's become the school board members are part of the institutional bureaucracy and the ruling class. And I think that's a very troubling development in our society. Yeah, and uh, and I mean, and, and the ultimate culmination of that with the progressives that you have, it was taking it to the level of, I mean, you, you would not even think 10 years ago or five years ago that you would have the Department of Justice even giving cover to the concept that parents that speak out at school board meetings on what they believe in, nothing more and nothing less, on what the school board should do, nothing more or nothing less, are domestic terrorists. That, that is like the ultimate of authoritarianism, you know, and, and I mean, and taking that's the, the socialistic, communistic, I mean, that's what communism is. You don't go in a communistic country and go before any political board and give them your free state of mind. Um, you don't do it because the state says you don't have a right to that state of mind. Well, indirectly, the Department of Justice is, is basically is, is, is in, you know, is intimidating parents to have that state of mind to exercise their freedom of speech, First Amendment right, by just suggesting, you know, you can go there, but if you do, you may be considered a domestic terrorist, and there are consequences for domestic terrorism. So, I mean, this this is a real, the, the good news is, I, I think they've overplayed this card so much that it is going to have major consequences in the midterm election. And then I don't think they can undo it. I mean, 2024 is way away. 2022 is a year away. You know, if I had to make a prediction today, about a year and two months from now, Kevin McCarthy is not going to be the minority leader of the Republican Party in the House of Representatives. He's going to be Speaker of the House. Yeah. And, and I think that was probably likely anyway. Right. I mean, if history is any guide, the party out of power in the first midterm after the election of a new president has the upper hand. And then you add all of these other ingredients to the equation. And I think it's just going to make it even more so. Yep, I agree. Well, Nolan, you've been quiet today. And, you know, I know that's because everybody, Nolan got here late and we chided him. <laughs> and, you know, said, unlike baby boomers that are always punctual on time, right. these millennial Gen Zers. <laughs> We're not trying to generalized he's making a TikTok oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. video. but now what, what <laughs> so now that you're late to the party oh, yeah. give us your two cents on uh, what you think about this I, yeah i mean i think i think you're both of you are spot on i think i mean again if we're looking at history what happened after the democrats were in power last when obama was elected the ne the midterm came and everything changed i mean it was a different it was a different landscape after the midterms so i think if if it doesn't uh, there's going to there's you know someone either 
half the country sinks into the sea or something weird is happening if that doesn't happen. That just, that seems to be the natural outcome. And I agree with you, you're saying, Mike, the, I mean, I don't think this is stops with just parents. I think there are a lot of people, I mean, people whose children are not even in school anymore. They, you know, they're adult children. They, they're thinking about, this is bigger than just me and my child. This is, um, something that's very fundamental to the society that we're living in and the one that we're shaping for tomorrow. Well, and, and, you know, the, uh, um, I just went to the, my laptop. So that's why I had my kind of my, I had a senior moment there being the, uh, baby boomer. Um, <laughs> the, I, I, I think it's ironic. And we talked about this on our last show, having you, having you and I engage with, you can tell me what mm-hmm. the, what the millennials, Gen Zers think, like we said, climate change, you know, we've talked from prior, mm-hmm. how they kind of have drank the Kool-Aid and, you know, they got one, one kind of narrative and I'd love to counter it, but I bet if we went down, let's do a real quick, just bullets, you know, session right now, uh, economy inflation. Do your peers feel everything's great right now? I think honestly, I, I don't, I think if you said that to most of them, they would say what? inflate you know i i might no, my tires are fine um like they, that, that's like not a con, like that's not something that they're even thinking about because they're not looking you know they're they're not paying a mortgage they're not going to the grocery store is you know it, i don't really check prices when i you know i mean it's i don't think that's something that would be even be on their radar so you need yeah, their instagram is free what do you right. mean yeah right. exactly yeah yeah right <laughs> they need to become soccer moms and yeah. start going to the grocery store yeah so and i just say I, wait a minute oranges are way more than last okay. summer yeah well i want to go on record i did not you know you know throw that you know that slant out at millennials gen zers on you know they'd say hey what are you talking about my tires are full you know <laughs> that was by one of your peers that did that so you know Honestly. Yeah. So, but yeah. Okay. So how do they feel about the, the border? I love this. That was yeah, a great well, I mean, I mean, I will say though, I did see earlier this, you know, earlier this week we're on Thanksgiving is on track to be the most expensive holiday in the history of Thanksgiving. And I think it's funny, you know, earlier at 4th of July, the Biden administration was like, well, we saved you 16 cents on 4th of July. It was like, wow, I got my ketchup for free this year, but I'm paying a whole heck of a lot more for my turkey. You know, again, I'm going to my parents' <laughs> house, so I'm not buying it. What about gasoline? Gasoline. Mm. Oh, so, you know, that's, Oh, I could go on and on about. Well, that's the place they got to pay no, their that's, gas. No, and that, of course, they may have thing. mom and dad's credit card. That's to pay true. It, so then but I there's think, like, I think people that pay their own gas. They, that's one thing that they notice. It's like, wait a minute, you know, two years ago I was paying. I mean, in California, you're paying a whole heck of a lot, no matter where you are. But two years ago, you were paying far less, and I think, and people definitely know that. Um, well, what about what, what about you know you? I mean, your generation is really good at Amazon Prime and uh-huh. ordering all this stuff and all the you know all the we have a hundred cargo ships bec- uh, that are yep. sitting offshore that actually they're sending them back. Uh, the perishables have already r- rotted out, and we're talking about the Grinch that stole Christmas. We may not mm-hmm. have anything for Christmas. Yeah, so yeah. Do, are, does that bother them? I, I think I mean I so even they, they like to get stuff. Report, yeah, know, right. Yeah, so. There is a report. Golden Sachs is reporting that twenty four billion dollars is floating out out there. Yeah, you know, I mean it's it's an, just I can't wrap my my mind around how. But much how do your peer, how do they your... they notice that? And I think even people that uh, that voted for Biden and are pretty liberal, they're like, uh, wait a minute, what's going on here? This is never you know my stuff's but my my prime order should be on time. I shouldn't be having to wait this long. What's going on here? This. If we're talking about something, you know, putting putting union workers to work, this isn't putting anybody to work. No one's there. Um, and so I think th- they see a disconnect there between what was even just talked about um, and what's going on. Now, I don't know if they blame they blame Biden or they blame somebody else, but they de- they definitely have a problem. So, they notice. It. So one last one last question would be 
how do they look at the choice that a cop or a firefighter mm -hmm. has to get a mandatory vaccine or they get fired? And how do they look at a parent mm -hmm. speaking out at a school board meeting saying, I, I know I want to make decisions for my kids. Mm -hmm. I don't want government to tell me that and being told if you do that, you might be considered a domestic mm -hmm. terrorist. I mean, what I'm it's all I think that's a really interesting question. That's all across the board. I know people that are unvaccinated and have no and they they defend that that freedom. And I, have, I know people that are vaccinated and say, you know, why wouldn't you vaccinate your child? Do you not care about their health? And then you have people in the middle that are that are vaccinated and say, no, I don't care. Like I, this was my decision, but I'm not going to make that decision for you. And the government shouldn't make it for you either. You know, I mean, there's a whole range. And I think that's, I think one of the most interesting is I don't think that age is a um, definer um, for whether or not you're going to be a supporter of these things or not um, there. It, it is very um, all across the board. I mean, yeah, I, th there's almost no um, constant there. Well, before we, I'm going to segue from this into water and what, whether we have a water shortage or a water storage problem. I just want to end with anybody listening again. And I, you know, I've mentioned this on other shows that if you're, if, 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 if you are, have been an individual that has been strongly, strongly, strongly pro-choice supporting a woman's right to make a decision if unless she was raped, she she voluntarily allowed herself to become pregnant and that fetus, if it was allowed to go to full term, would become an individual um, and you support that that individual's right to make a decision on her body, which I'm personally uh, pro-life, but I have been policy wise pro-choice because I do support a woman having that right to make that decision. If you're one of those persons and at the same time, you're an individual that you, you basically feel you can embarrass people by saying, how dare you not get a vaccine? How dare you not put into your body a vaccine that I believe is right for you or government says is right for you, but you've made your own individual choice. It's my opinion, you are one of the biggest hypocrites uh, that you'll find in, pol in politics because those two positions are 100% inconsistent with each other. And, you know, if you're going to support a woman's right to make a choice on what she does with her body when you're involving the life of a fetus that ought, most of the time, unless it was rape, she voluntarily made the decision to get pregnant. And at the same time, you won't support a person's right to make a decision on a vaccine or you support the right for that cop or firefighter or whoever has a job supporting their family to be fired um, if they don't get a vaccine. That, that to me that is hypocrisy. I don't know, Joe. I, I don't think we've ever had that discussion. No, I mean, I agree with you, Mike. I mean, look, I'm vaccinated. My, both my wife and I are vaccinated and we did it because, you know, we, <laughs> frankly, we didn't want to be stopped at the door of the next great concert, you know, and we, we figured it was going that way and we wanted to be able to enjoy our quality of life. And so we did it, but we didn't feel any need to impose that decision on anyone else. And we thought that, you know, if we're vaccinated, what do we care if anybody else gets vaccinated? We're, we were supposed to be protected mm -hmm. and we just kind of thought the messaging on this thing was really odd that I have to be vaccinated to protect myself from unvaccinated people that never really made any sense to me. And I just kind of think what you're saying about being pro-choice is absolutely spot on. If you're pro-choice, you got to be pro-choice when it comes to everything. And most of the people that are so active in the pro-choice community are often the most visible on 
shame on you for not getting that vaccine. It's almost that that hidden undercurrent that you oh you have a right to make a choice, but you know, shame on you. You know you should be shamed because you are not getting the vaccine. Shame on you. And that that's hypocrisy. Yeah. Um, water. We uh, I, I'm given the three minutes signed by uh, Dean, so I don't think we'll finish this topic, but we can for, for sure start it. Um, you know, we, re, we we're in a drought. I'm old enough. I've been through this like, you know, had been around four or five in my lifetime. All of a sudden we get one rainstorm. And the bottom line is everybody. I mean, ha, go look at headlines. Um, I get a service called Rough and Tumble. If any of you ever want to bring up every morning all the headlines, Google Rough and Tumble. Everything yesterday and today is, is the drought over? Well, the drought's not over. Um, you know, this one storm, it got a lot of rain. Uh, Lake Tahoe went back up above its its normal line. Um, but, but the issue is, is this. And this is what's been frustrating, especially me being in agriculture, um, so involved over the years, is, you know, California, basically, well, I got to tie in. You know, often being a Republican, I will often get, get go out in the stump and I'll say, you know who one of the best governors of California ever was? And everybody goes, Ronald Reagan. I go, no, Ronald Reagan was a good governor. He was a great president. Believe it or not, I think one of my favorite all-time governors, and Joe's shaking his head because I know he'll agree with <laughs> I've me. heard this piece before. Yeah, because yeah, I've said it so many times, is Edmund Brown, Jerry Brown's dad. Edmund Brown was the infrastructure governor. Edmund Brown built our schools. He built the water delivery project. He built our freeways. He believed in the lowest tax rate. I can, if I brought all his quotes would say, if California is going to be number one in the, in the country, um, we have to attract all the businesses. More jobs mean more income. More income means more money. More money means building things and giving out social programs and things of that nature. We basically did not, we built one reservoir in 1980 and prior to that, we, the last one was 1966. The water delivery system in this, in this state was designed for 20 million people. We now have 40 million people. And yet due to conservation, and frankly, you know, a lot of the, uh, and I got a, a lot of environmentalists that I've gotten in debates on this will say, uh, shame on the farmers and the farmers are stealing our water. Folks, the farmers aren't stealing the water. The water that they usually use is being pumped from the ground some of it evaporates. They're all using you know, water conservation techniques to have the minimum amount of irrigation. And then they recharge that basin because the water goes back into that same basin. You know who the users of the water are? It's all of you living in homes, flushing your toilets, taking your showers. Mm -hmm. That's the water. That's where that water comes from. Frankly, a lot of our conservation efforts, I don't think ever would have been successful I mean, I guess this is one that the libertarian Republican goes, you know, probably some of the mandates like low flow toilets and things like that. That's what's created some conservation with residential commercial users. You know, the farmers are the ones that voluntarily are all in on conservation. One, the more they can say, the more they can lower their pumping costs, pay less electricity, they save money. Mm -hmm. So, you know, they're not the problem. And the problem in terms of, again, a system designed for 20 million people serving 40 million, and yet it has almost done it. It continues to deliver. Um, and when we come back, I think it's time for a break. What I want to focus in on, we wouldn't be in this problem had we kept up with where Edmund Brown started with, with building the storage. Because every time we would have had storage, had we had four or five more reservoirs out there, four or five more reservoirs, most of them are usually in Northern California, which always gets more rain would have been full right now, but those reservoirs aren't full because they never were built. 
And had they been built, there would have been that much more acre feet of water delivered to it through the state of California, through the state water um, canal that was built by Edmund Brown to take water from Northern California to Southern California. And when we come back from the break, we'll get more into more detail on that. Only Mike Stoker can make water that exciting. <laughs> That's what you get here on the Mike Stoker podcast. In just, Cabana, just remember, we can talk about water and it is tiddly. Just remember what Mark Twain said, you know, whiskey is for drinking, water is for fighting. <laughs> that was Mark Twain's <laughs> quote, not mine. This is episode nine of the Mike Stoker podcast. Stay with us. We'll be right back. Welcome back. Episode nine of the Mike Stoker podcast in the cabana. Dean Wilson with Mike Stoker, Nolan Anderson. Special guest Joe Armendariz is with us today. So glad you're with us. Wherever you are, we've been talking about water, talking about midterms upcoming in 2022, we're talking about vaccine mandates and other things. We've got a lot more on all of that, I think. Um, but uh, so glad you're with us. Hey, it's great to be here. And as you all know, we always have a a, uh, a nonprofit shout out. And today we're going to have it by our own uh, Dean Wilson with the Turner Foundation, who, you know, I've told you how impressed I am with the Turner Foundation, what they do. And they, we have a big uh, upcoming gala event. So, Dean, why don't you t tell us briefly about the foundation and, and about the gala? Event. Yeah. So the Turner Foundation has been around since 1958 and it's been in Santa Barbara for about 16 years. We, we own uh, low income apartment communities on the west side of Santa Barbara provide supportive services there, music, art, tutoring, lots of different things for the kids. So it's a it's primarily a housing vision, but there's also a scholarship fund. There's also a program for special needs families. Uh, so there's a lot of wonderful things happening. You can see all of it at theturnerfoundation.com, theturnerfoundation.com. And one of the things we did um, a couple of years ago to celebrate our 60th anniversary is we had a big gala and here in Santa Barbara at the Rosewood Miramar Resort. We had President George W. Bush come. We had a wonderful packed ballroom. It was a beautiful night. The same thing is going to be happening here in about seven weeks. Our guests this year are a couple of NBA legends, Magic Johnson and Jerry West of, of Laker stardom. Uh, if you're a basketball fan, they're going to be here. A couple of great musicians, uh, Brian and Katie Torwalt are going to be with us. Uh, it's going to be phenomenal. The Rosewood is like the, the, the nicest, most beautiful Christmas decorations you can find. It's magical. Uh, the, the, like I said, the, the Magic and Jerry are phenomenal uh, people to be able to hear from that night. We're going to be raising money to benefit our music program uh, primarily. Uh, this is a music program that essentially gives the gift of music to low-income, disadvantaged kids who wouldn't otherwise get it. And I was just reading this morning our annual report from our music program from this year, and it's just staggering what they're accomplishing with these kids. And actually, the band, our, our youth blues and jazz band, will be performing in the lobby at the gala. So anyway, December 16th is the day. Uh, the next day, we're having a golf tournament at Sandpiper Golf Club here in Santa Barbara. So it's kind of a two-day event. There's a gala and a golf tournament. You can go to one or both or either, I guess you should say. Um, so to find all the information, go to theturnerfoundation.com. So theturnerfoundation.com. Click on events and click on 2021. You can find out all the information on the gala, on the golf tournament. We'd love to see you there. I, I'll, in all full disclosure, we only have about four tables left out of 42. So it's we're, don't wait too long if you want to come. 
uh, get a couple of tickets, or if you want to just come and play in the golf tournament, you can do that as well. We also have a couple of packages where you can stay Friday night. You can play in the golf tournament and stay Friday night at the Rosewood Miramar for a really good price. If you know what they're charging right now at the Rosewood Miramar for a regular room, you'll understand this is a very good deal. So we'd love to have you. Turner, theturnerfoundation.com for all the information. Thanks, Mike. Oh, no, it's um, normally we, we have our one minute nonprofit shout out. I think we went far beyond that. We did. It deserved it. It's a good cause. Mm-hmm. I urge you to go on the website. I urge, If you can be a host for we have different hosting events, uh, play golf. You can play a hole or two with Jerry West, which is really cool. VIP receptions with Magic and Jerry. Uh, and it's a great, great cause. So I urge you to go on the website and however you can support it. And that can be your before the end of the year. Uh, you know, if you need any write-offs for a great nonprofit, this right. is your opportunity. Exactly. So we were talking about water. You know, we have. You know, the last re- reservoir built was uh, the New Milan's uh, Reservoir, which is north of Sonora in 1980. Before that was 1966, and literally we have a, a water delivery system designed for 20 million people serving 40 million, and yet it's it's it generally serves pretty well because of you know, conservation and all the things that we've done, but we wouldn't even be talking water shortages had we kept up with the amount of reservoirs that should have been built. Just, I mean, you look around the state, we all know our our, our school infrastructure hasn't, they haven't kept up with that. Our road infrastructure, they haven't kept up with that. I mean, anywhere where you talk infrastructure, California has just punted on that, generally because of liberal policy, shifting money into social programs, things of that nature. Um, I mean, the gas tax that was created, supposed to go to just roads, got shifted a long time ago to a lot of different social programs. Um, and the bottom line is we finally have potentially two new uh, reservoirs that literally, me being so active with water, I've been talking about, I'm 65, I've been talking about since I was 30, needing to be built. Temperance Flat, which is in the San Joaquin Valley, west of Aubury, um, which is now under construction this year. Uh, which is as a result of a water bond passed about five years ago that the, we, I was in 2014, I think. I was involved with ag that we negotiated with then Governor Brown, basically saying, if you want your water bond, because in California, generally the water bonds that we all pass that everybody keeps voting for, as Joe knows, they always go for parks and recreation and, and they don't go for infrastructure. They've never gone for building actual reservoirs. And we've stood firm on this, that if you want ag support, it has to be earmarked in there specifically. And that's the only way that that they were able to get the support. That's the only way the bond would have passed. And then after it passed, they tried to undo it basically and say, well, really, it was water storage. So we can build um, groundwater storage and we don't have to build the reservoir because you got to realize the environmentalists of the state are the ones that have stopped every reservoir project because every time you put up a reservoir you have environmentally sensitive habitat that's somewhere now being flooded within a valley or whatever you have Hetchke dam that we've talked about never never will happen uh the other site that's going to be you know that they're looking at a sites reservoir which is west of Calusa in the sacramento valley which should start in 2023 supposed to but i will bet you because of environmental challenges if it starts by 2025 I'll be surprised if it starts in 2023, it won't even be done till 2030. These are all reservoirs that we talked about in the 1960s. And I can bring the list from 1969 when Governor Reagan was governor, that these two reservoirs were included with five other reservoirs based on the California Water Commission report saying, if you want to keep up with the population growth, you need to build these reservoirs. And we never built one. And had we built that, 
those reservoirs would have been full at this point or half full or three quarters full. And all of them through the water delivery project, you know, the, the state water canal that Edmund Brown built would have been shifting. You know, that was what Brown was a genius on realizing we have a huge state. Often Southern California is drier, even before we even knew about global warming, folks. Like got, got, that's why the water system was built the way it was. Realizing California's drier, not about global warming back in 1960, just California's drier, Southern California, creating a water delivery system that shifts from the north to the south. And had these projects been built, had we built water storage, we never would have had water shortage. Joe? <laughs> well, I agree. Mike, and I, I've heard your speech about Pat Brown before. You know, we've had great governors in California. I'm, I'm reminded of uh, people like Hiram Johnson and Earl Warren and Pat Brown and Ronald Reagan, of course. Um, when I'm not uh, posting about my wife's cooking, I put something yesterday um, about, you know, I said, we don't have a shortage of goods, you know, we as much as we have a surplus of government incompetence. And you know, the best regulator, of course, is supply and demand, right? And I, I think that you have it right. I mean, we, we have the tools to deal with the disruption of supply of anything. And Brown obviously understood that in order to deal with the occasional disruption of the supply of water is storage through the infrastructure. So that's what he did. And now we don't have that. We don't have governors who think that way. Um, you know, and his son, by the way, I would I would argue was a pretty darn good governor, too, in many ways, much better than the governor we have. And so, you know, we need to go back to having governors who are actually interested in solving problems. And uh, yeah, I agree with you. That bothered a lot of my, you know, Republican friends back, you know, at the beginning of Jerry Brown's first term the second time around. When I was, you know, I, w I was giving speeches, those same speeches when I was saying Edmund Brown to ag, you know, group saying Edmund Brown was a great governor, the infrastructure governor. At the same time, I was giving speeches back then saying, hey, the only grown up in a room right now to check the crazy leftist liberal legislators is Jerry Brown. And Jerry Brown vetoed a lot of their legislation. I mean, you know, I. And, you know, and I, my Republican friends I know listening right now and Joe and I, we've gone through this often, you know, anytime you give an accolade to the other party, <laughs> your yeah. people, I'll hear it on Facebook and emails and everything else. But, you know, Jerry Brown was a he, he vetoed a lot of legislation. Would I prefer to have a different Republican governor? Yeah. But I'd rather have a Democrat that is at least somewhat, you know, reasonable. And I think Jerry. Jerry Brown, the second time around, was more of the adult. He had grown up. He wasn't the liberal he was the first time around. He had become a mayor of Oakland, so he realized, you know, hey, there's some real issues here. He understood more of, I think the second time around, he understood more of what his dad was known for, that if you want to have money for all this stuff in California, we have to, and we'll talk about this on the next segment on the future of California, we have to promote business. We have to promote jobs. We have to be a job creating machine, not a job killing machine, because more jobs mean more income tax. More income tax means more revenues. More re revenues pays for that stuff. He started understanding that, I think, as a, a mayor of Oakland. And so that prepared him the second time around. There, there was a lot of things Jerry Brown did that I didn't like, but he was the guy that kind of stuck, stuck up, stuck, you know, stood up against 
the, uh, the, the, the unions and the pensions and created pension reform. You know, he was the guy that on the, a lot of the job killing re- legislation that got up to his desk, he vetoed it to his credit. So, you know, any of you that know me, I you know that's what this show is all about. I call it like it is. I give, you know, I give kudos to, you know, Democrats. I go shame on you to Republicans if I think it's deserved. And Jerry Brown, if I had to grade him as a governor, uh, it's kind of interesting. What, I, I, you know, I'll whisper to Dean, you whisper to Nolan and we'll find out. You t- t- Tell Nolan what grade you would give <laughs> Jerry Brown. Okay. What did I, Dean, what did I say? Mike gave him a B as in boy. B plus. Oh, well, we're pretty close. So, yeah, I might have given him a B plus, but then I'd have hell to pay from all my Republican friends listening. So I'm glad the wrath of them will come down on you, Joe. Just remember who gave the plus to Jerry Brown. Um, so anyway, you know, that, that that's it, folks. I mean, on water, we don't have we have a water shortage problem, but it's because it's been self-inflicted. Joe hit the nail on the head. I mean, I've never thought of it that way. It's supply and demand, supply and demand in regards to goods, supply and demand in the marketplace, supply and demand in needing infrastructure. Had we followed the need for infrastructure, the supply, and provided the demand, take care of it, we would not have a water shortage problem in the state, period, end of story. So let's move on. Um, Last thing I wanna talk about is future of California which I think is pretty bleak. Uh, we have the midterms. I forget. What did Larry Alder lose by? What, 69 to 30? Was it yeah, something 20, like that? 26. So we talked about it. You know, at times I thought there was a chance, you know, had it was all turnout models. And I made it very clear in, in our mm-hmm. podcast that in a normal election cycle, there's no way in this state, because the majority of people have drank the Kool-Aid and just how the, the registration is stacked up for a Republican to beat a Democrat. In a recall, the dynamics can change. Well, at the, end of the, at the end of the day, the Democrats did come out the way they would in a normal race. And I think they did it because they ran successfully. They realized that Alder was catching on and they ran a scare campaign to get those people to get out, not because they love Newsom, but they, they ran on, you know, he was a white supremacist, even though he's a black man. And he was an anti-vaxxer, even though he had gotten a vaccine. You know, like I'm sure there's people out there that think Joe's an anti-vaxxer just because of Joe's, <laughs> his image, um, you know, what he's been out there talking about for years. And he just said he and his wife got a vaccine. How can you be an anti-vaxxer and got the vaccine? Mm-hmm. He was anti-vaxxer because he believed, back to what we talked about earlier, people are entitled to their own choice. And I, I think, you know, it's coming back to roost. The vast majority of Americans, especially in those Rust Belt states, are believing people have a right to choice for their kids and vaccine. People have a right to choice and their jobs and a vaccine. And so they ran a campaign that, you know, Larry Alder was just a crazy anti-vaxxer. And and ultimately they scared, they scared those Democrats and independents and they got them out to vote. So you have that election. Now, this is where we're at right now. And then I'm gonna Joe to start throwing it out. Um, on, on, on California boasts the nation's highest marginal income tax rate. We have the state's highest unemployment rate, uh, which is second to the worst in the country. Um, the state, you know, I talk about the state lag with COVID that we should be really leading the country right now, given our COVID rates and that, and yet we're at the very end. 
we pay nearly 40% more for goods here than national average. The state has the second lowest home ownership rate. We have the third worst crime rate behind Illinois and New York. We're considered the second most regulated state behind New York, and often we're in the number one uh, regulated state. We were, this last week, it came out 41st in education. Um, I mean, I can go on and on and on in regards to where California is right now. It is not the golden state I grew up with, Edmund Brown. We were number one in education. We were number one in job creation. We were number one um, in, in, in terms of low unemployment rate. We led the country. We really were the golden state in the 60s. Um, and it's been all self-inflicted. All these numbers that I've just given you, and I think one of the most telling examples of that, and I think Joe has you know, more information than I do, um, is you take a company like Tesla, Ellen has moved Tesla to Texas. And I don't know, Joe, I mean, I, don't you have, I mean, I think with Musk and, and, and Tesla, I think you kind of more on top of this than I am in terms of what took place and what's happening on that. Well, point. I mean, look, we've been, we've been talking about this for years. I mean, California is, is, has consistently for the last 20 years, I think uh, the, the CEOs across the country have ranked it the absolute most difficult place in the country to do business, the highest uh, corporate tax, the highest uh, gas tax, the highest income tax, uh, the most, you know, the, I think it's like $500 billion a year uh, is the cost of regulation. Uh, Elon Musk, now the richest man in the world, personal net worth of $287 billion, uh, takes his company, SpaceX and and uh, and Tesla to Texas. Uh, Abbott is just crowing. Abbott's on the phone every day with, with uh, people that Elon Musk is introducing to him to in California. Um, you know, and I think it's something where the, the, the wealthy who are who are economically mobile can go wherever they want. The new Zoom economy has basically mm -hmm. shown us that people can live wherever they want. And so the economically mobile have the opportunity to, to move. And so I think what you're seeing now in, in, in the world is the wealthy are mobile. The, 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 those living below the poverty line are not. And so California is becoming a two tiered society. You have those who can afford to live with the dysfunction because they're above it and those who cannot. And so they're stuck. And it's really a tragedy because 70 percent of the uh, of the voters decided to keep the governor who is responsible for this, not just him personally, but his party. And, you know, I, 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 I'm just flabbergasted that that the recall was so successfully defeated. And I don't know what the answer is, Mike, other than what you and I have been talking about here for the last hour, which is that the trends, I think, are favorable in terms of public opinion. And, you know, and I think at the end of the day, I'm kind of old fashioned. The Republican Party has to do a better job of reaching out and recruiting people who can speak to the hearts and minds of ordinary, regular voters and mm -hmm. talk about the issues that they care about. Well, you know, and I don't know if we have a difference of opinion on this. I, you know, when I was optimistic, I'm not optimistic about California. Okay, California is not going to be, you know, in the midterms, you're not going to see a major shift. You will not because this this state is so far left. I'm talking primarily if you're Biden, you better be worried about those Rust Belt states that, you know, that that Trump carried, that Biden has to carry, that really they don't have the values of Californians. Okay, that that's a fact. In Pennsylvania, Oklahoma, Ohio, Wisconsin, those states do not have the values of California. I think the midterm shows exactly where we're at as a state. And I don't see, you know, the policies I'm talking about, we just talked about water. 
you know, we've had policies that have shut down building reservoirs since 1970. It's gotten worse and worse and worse. The last probably of a conservative real victory was Prop 13 in 1978. Uh, Governor Duke Majin, who I knew well, won in 19, uh, 1980. Your last true Republican governor was not Arnold Schwarzenegger. It was Pete Wilson. Pete Wilson would tell you today, who I was, I was his, I was chair of the Ag Labor Relations Board, appointed by Governor Wilson. He would tell you probably we're, we are not going to see another Republican governor elected, um, given the scenario. So I mean, when you say what is it going to take, I don't know what it's going to take for California. Okay, I feel optim, really optimistic about the midterms, and McCarthy becoming the speaker and taking back the House. Given where we're at right now, I think in terms of the foundation for 2024 after the midterms, I think Biden, if he keeps following this course of action, I mean, Bill Clinton, after two years, reversed course. He brought in Leon Panetta from Congress, who was known out. People forget Leon Panetta started as a Republican. He was very fiscally conservative. He only switched to the Democratic Party over the abortion issue because he was pro-choice. He brought Leon Panetta in midterm after the midterm killed Clinton to put Clinton back on a middle of the road course. I don't see Biden being able to do that. And if he doesn't do that, I think he's set up for the reasons we talked about earlier for disaster in 2024. But as far as California is concerned, I mean, I think it is really telling when you think about it. If there's a company that the environmental community should have embraced, supported, made sure did not leave California, it's Tesla. It's Elon Musk. And I think, and, and Joe's right, from what I know, Abbott literally is on weekly calls with Elon asking him how, you know, what other California companies, I think from those calls, Hewlett Packard, I think there's a couple companies, I can't remember. Hewlett Packard is definitely one of them that they've announced that they're moving to the, uh, the to Texas. Um, if you look at, you know, again, maybe the best thing for us is a lot of these companies that will leave because a lot of those companies like the Hewlett Packard and the Silicon Valley that are very, their employees and their votes have been very liberal and very Democrat yeah. as they exit, they'll probably cause, you know, the, the voting demographics in Texas and Idaho and places like that to change. But it's kind of like, you know, if we want to get back to more of moderation, good riddance for the ones that believe in the extreme over here. But the irony is, and Edmund Brown, we started the segment talking about Edmund Brown, the infrastructure governor, never would have let these companies leave. And and Newsom said four or five months ago, jokingly, Tesla's never leaving California. I mean, he did. Newsom said in a press, goes, Elon's just saying that. Well, he's not saying it anymore. And you got to realize how, I mean, you got SpaceX, you got Elon is right now launching this, the global satellites <laughs> that probably is the next huge, you know, his portfolio is only going to build and grow that you basically are going to have the satellite system up there that, you know, that you, anybody can communicate with anybody at any given time. I don't, you know, I'm not a tech guy, but what I understand from people that are going, this is like huge for, you know, off in the future. Um, but Elon left, Tesla left, and Newsom kind of just shrugs it off. Hewlett Packard is following. Um, last year was the first time our population went down. It's shifting, it's leaving. Um, and that's a lot of jobs that are going to Nevada, going to Texas, going to Florida. I mean, it, it's kind of tying into it. When you look at the Florida and, and Texas, go back to the whole mandatory vaccine and the jobs being, you know, being threatened to be taken away. 
those same governors are not only recruiting California businesses, they're also taking California cops and firefighters because they are actively recruiting with $5,000 bonuses. If you want to come to Texas, if you want to come to Florida, cops, we have a job for you. Firefighters, we have a job for you. As a former county supervisor, I can tell you that's huge because the last thing you want is the people that have been trained to leave. You're losing money when I was, people thought I was crazy when I was the, with four liberal Democrats, was the guy that stood up for the, the firefighters and the sheriffs and their unions to significantly increase safety retirement pay and pensions. And I did it because I said, look it, I, I believe like Republicans, you run government as much as you can like a business. In a business, when you recruit people, you don't want to train them for them to leave three to four years later. Our cops and firefighters are leaving because Ventura, Monterey, San Luis County are paying more and they're the competition. We have to equal them so that the people we spend the money the first couple of years training stay with us. That's when we get our investment back. That's why I took a lot of heat when they go, how come you're supporting these unions and increased pay? You know, that, that, to this day, the older firefighters and sheriffs in this county will tell you Stoker was like their favorite county supervisor. And I did it because one, their public safety, they deserve to get, you know, what they are entitled. But in terms of just good government, running government like a business, I didn't want to pay for three years of training for them to go to San Luis or Monterey. Mm -hmm. Well, in the same way, it's huge. We're going to lose. We'll probably, you know, my, my, my buddy who's on, on the Santa Barbara PD, who we'll have on in a couple of weeks, maybe he'll be one of those that go to Florida and Texas. Because at the end of the day, he doesn't have to lose his paycheck. He has to lose it here, but he doesn't have to lose it there. So, I mean, it's not only, I mean, the vaccine issue is huge in regards to them using that to recruit. And all those things play into the midterm election. Every time you lose cops in your community, all of a sudden, it, if it's San Diego, if it's Los Angeles, if it's Santa Barbara, all of a sudden those voters go, hey, I don't, what's going on here? Where's the leadership? They don't want to lose their cops and firefighters. But the current policies and the Newsom policies, we will have a significant shift of public safety employees from California to those other states that are recruiting them, just like Abbott and DeSantis is recruiting California businesses. I don't know what, you know. Well, no, I mean, that was great, Mike. But, I, you know, the, and the only thing I would add about uh, Musk and his company, uh, which I think is ironic as he leaves California, is he will single handedly do more to solve the problem of climate change than any regulation passed by the California legislature, just by virtue of the fact that he is putting these electric cars on the road. And that's, I think, there's a poetry to that that I just love. <laughs> well, if you believe what the cause for cl climate change is, he is the one that will be the single most, yet more than any California legislation. I agree with that 100%. Okay, we, we'll end it with our millennial Gen Z, or what about your, what's your Nolan, call? are you moving to Texas? Um, you know, I, I will say I've been to Austin. I've been to Houston. Austin's amazing. It's a great city. It's growing. And people that live there, they talk about how much it's growing and how quickly it is. Oh, great music. And it's, it, yeah, yeah, it's always been a little weird, but it's it just keeps getting better. They keep saying. It is the most left of Texas. Though. Yeah, it is. That's when you true. look at the voting. It's oh, like, yeah. Because yeah. um, no, it's all those Californians uh -huh. on the Silicon right. Valley, seriously, right. that are moving. That's where a yeah. lot of them, they're starting up. This, you know, They're moving yeah. their companies off. Well, when I was there, I, I saw a bumper sticker that said, um, if liberalism worked, you would still be living in California. 
And I think that's if the people that have like grew up there and lived there. That's kind of their thing. It's like, wait a minute, this was this was a great city before you are. Any of you started showing up, and you know we liked it kind of don't the way ruin it was. It. Yeah. Don't ruin it. Yeah, don't ruin that's it. That's kind us. of like what if liberalism worked is saying it didn't work, so don't try it here. Yeah, you know that's what they're hoping. So. Anyway, well, hey, this was a great show. Joe, great having you on. Um, you know, you. hope to have you back on on a more regular basis and give you an excuse to drive down here and from, <laughs> from North County. Hang out and, in the cabana. Yeah, and then yeah. all of you, uh, we have the upcoming uh, Turner Foundation Gala. Go to the website. Really, really strongly encourage you to support the cause. It's a great cause. And Episode nine, everybody. Thanks for joining us. We'll see you next time. Tell a friend. The Mike Stoker podcast in the cabana. When you get our when you get our emails or you get on Facebook, forward it to your friends. Get the word out. Spread the word. Yes. If liberalism worked, everybody wouldn't be fleeing California. <laughs> we'll see you next time.